Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. Welcome back to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole. Today's episode is all about dividend investing. What are the benefits? What are the downsides? What are the things that you need to be aware of? So we have a great episode today as we explore the different aspects of that so that you can understand how this fits in your portfolio, specifically in your retirement income plan. Now, before we get started, just wanted to say real quick that if you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show. There's a new episode every week. I do my best to make sure that every single episode is jam-packed with as much value as possible, and I want to make sure that you're not missing any episodes. So hit that subscribe button if you've not already done so. And if you have been listening, if you've been enjoying the podcast, please share your thoughts. I would love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I love getting the feedback, and it helps more people to find the show. With that being said, let's jump right in. And let's start with just the fundamentals of why stocks even have value in the first place. So Stocks have value, to go back to the very beginning, because when you purchase a stock, you are purchasing ownership in a company. And you are purchasing that company because you expect that that company either has current or future expected profits or expected net cash flows that you as an investor have a right to. So when a company is in business, generates revenue, it pays for its expenses, the leftover, that's profit. That's net income. And that's what gets distributed or that's what investors and shareholders have a right to. So dividends are just one way in which a company compensates its shareholders. So what are the benefits of those dividends? Well, number one, and this is very obvious, the first thing is dividends represent real income that you can spend. I once heard this framed this way. Let's assume that you go to the grocery store and you go to the grocery store and you get your groceries and you get your vegetables and you get your milk and you get your meat and whatever you're going to buy and you go to the cashier. Are you going to go to that cashier and pull out your brokerage account statement from TD Ameritrade and say, here's my money, take a piece of this to pay for my groceries, or are you going to pay in cash? Obviously, this is just a rhetorical example, but you're going to pay with cash. And now that cash is maybe by swiping a debit card or a credit card, but the transaction is made in dollars. You're not paying with the account balance you have in your brokerage account. Well, obviously, why does that matter? Well, dividends, they represent real tangible value. As you have your brokerage accounts or your investment accounts, it's the dividends that those companies are paying that accumulates in cash, and you can use that cash for everyday living expenses. So that becomes the single most important variable in your financial life when you're retired, is where is income going to come from? Not the total value of your brokerage account statement, that's obviously important, and that contributes to the dividends that are being paid, but the actual cash that you have. Now, the other benefit of this is it just feels more real. Oftentimes as investors, and I often hear this from people talking to me about their investments, when you own a stock or a mutual fund or an ETF, sometimes it just feels like paper money. Obviously, that money goes up and down every day based upon what the market's doing. And now it's more than just paper money. It does represent actual tangible ownership in a real company, but it doesn't seem that way. And so people like dividends because they can see that on a quarterly basis or annual basis or some regular basis, the investments they have, the paper money investments that they have, pay a real cash dividend. And that cash dividend they can take and do what they want with. So the benefits of dividends are it just represents one way in which we can access income in retirement to make sure that we're meeting our living expense needs. And then there's the additional emotional component of that, of it just feels more real because there's dividends being paid. Now, number two, the second benefit 
is dividends increase faster than inflation does. So take a look at this. If you go back 61 years to 1960, the dividend on the S&P 500 was $1.98. In 2020, the dividend on the S&P 500 was $56.70, which is even a little bit lower because of COVID. So dividends had increased over 30 times. The compound growth rate on that is just under 6% per year. I mean, not only are dividends generating cash today, but on average, cash dividends grow at a compound growth rate of about 6%. Well, why does that matter? That matters because there's something called inflation. And inflation drives the price of all the goods and services that we buy up every single year as inflation goes up. In 1960, so when dividends were $1.98 on the S&P 500, in that same year, the consumer price index, which is the index that we use to measure inflation, it was around 30. So 1960, the CPI index or CPI was at 30. Today, it's around 267. So it is up nine times and it has grown at a compound growth rate of about 3.65%. So just compare those two things. Dividends since 1960 are up 30 times after growing by 6% per year on average. Inflation is up nine times after growing at a compound growth rate of about 3.65% per year. So not only do dividends help us pay for goods and services today, when we're no longer working, when we need to access income from somewhere, but they continue to grow and they grow on average at a faster clip than inflation. The third benefit of dividends, and maybe the most important piece, is dividends typically remain resilient even when stock prices drop. What does that mean? Well, the stock market is very volatile. It goes way up and it goes way down and it's very unpredictable and uncertain, at least in the short term. So if dividends dropped every time the stock market dropped, there wouldn't be much value in that. We need a consistent, reliable source of income when we retire. We can't have our income source be so uncertain like the stock market is in many cases. So what we need to look at is we need to look at this and say, okay, well, when the stock market goes down, what tends to happen to dividends? Because the stock market, on average, once per year, it goes down about 14, 15%, just in an intra-year decline. Meaning even if the stock market is up as a whole, there is an intra-year decline on average of 14% every single year. Once every five, six years or so, the market drops by 30% or more, and sometimes it's even as much as 50% or more. So the stock market can go all kinds of different directions in the short term, but what do dividends do? Well, if we go back over the last 60 years and look at some of the most painful declines in the stock market, let's see what happened to dividends in those same years. So let's start with January of 1973 to October of 1974. So that was about a year and nine months. So over 20 months where the S&P 500 from start to finish declined by almost 50%. So it went down in value 48%, which means almost half of its value was temporarily wiped out. But on an annual basis, the dividend on the companies inside of the S&P 500 did not go down at all, which means if you are retired and if you're relying upon that dividend income, that wasn't a fun time. The value of your portfolio, at least the stock portion of it, it dropped by almost half. The good news, though, is the dividend remained consistent from start to finish. So whatever the income you were expecting at the beginning of that time period, the income was the same at the end of the time period. So going back to that grocery example, even though your brokerage account value is down, if you're talking to the cashier, that doesn't matter. The cashier wants cash. The cashier wants you to pay for the groceries that you purchased and you had the dividend intact to do so. So that 
in that example shows what we want to see, the dividend remained sticky, remained resilient. Now let's look at March 2000 to October of 2002, a very painful three years in the stock market from 2000, 2001, and 2002, where a lot happened. The S&P 500 during that time also went down about half. So the total decline was down 49% from start to finish. The dividend though, on the S&P 500 companies, it did decline, but only about 2% from 2000 to 2001. And it already started growing again from 2002, and by 2003, it was already in new high ground. Meaning the stock market decline that started in 2000 and did not end until 2002, well, in the midst of that, for the first year, the dividend on the S&P 500, it declined 2%. So if you could expect $1,000 per year in dividends in one year, well, the next year it was $980 in dividends, just to put it to dollar terms. Well, by the next year, it had broken even, and after that, it was already in new all-time highs. The dividend remained resilient even as we experienced an incredibly painful bear market. Next, let's look at October of 2007 to March of 2009, the great global financial crisis, where the stock market went down 57% during that time. Incredibly painful. Now, in this case, the dividend actually did decline quite a bit more than previous scenarios, but nowhere near the 57%. It went down a little bit less than half of that. The dividend yield was cut by 23%. So certainly not a fun experience, but the dividend did not go down dollar for dollar with the stock market that went down 57%. Now, the good thing is the dividend did recover pretty quickly after that crisis. And by 2020, it was just about double what the stock market dividend was at its 2008 peak before it started to decline. So yes, a 23% hit to the dividend, it was not fun, that's not what you would like to see, but it was by far the largest dividend cut that we saw in the last six decades, and compared to the decline on the S&P 500, it was relatively mild. So as we look at this, what this shows us is, of course, companies have the right to cut their dividend at any time. If a company is no longer profitable, if a company is needing to do something else with those profits, it has the right to cut dividends to shareholders. But what we see historically is a different precedent. We see that companies tend to continue paying dividends and cutting them very little, if nothing at all, during downturns, which as investors is very reassuring because if you're going to retire, you want to make sure that your income remains stable even as the stock market goes up and down in the short term. So those are the three main benefits that I see in dividend investing. Number one, it's real income you can spend. Number two, that income tends to increase faster than inflation. In fact, it almost increases double what inflation does over time. And then number three, dividends typically remain sticky. They typically remain resilient even as the stock market drops. So those are all three benefits to dividends. Now, let's talk about downside of dividend investing or at least the other side of it. Okay, number one, Generally, companies that pay dividends see less in price appreciation. So this makes sense. Let's take a look at an example. You are a company and you sell products to make a profit. So you sell products, you sell services, whatever it is, you make a profit. Now you have two options at the end of each year. If you're the CEO and board member of this company, you get to make this decision. Are you going to take those profits and reinvest them into the business to continue growing even faster? Or are you going to distribute those profits as cash to shareholders, which is exactly what a dividend is? Well, when companies look at this, if they see an incredible opportunity 
to say, yes, we can reinvest these profits into the business and continue growing even faster, most companies are going to do that. That is what is most responsible as the company. So if we can keep growing, let's use this cash to do it because we'll keep growing the value of the company. Other companies, they'll look at this and say, you know, we don't really have much more room to grow, or we think these cash proceeds are best used, or these profits are best used to pay cash proceeds to investors. Those companies typically don't have as much more room to grow, generally speaking. For example, Amazon is the most successful stock of all time in terms of its annualized growth rate since it came to market or since it IPO'd. It's never paid a dividend. Why? Well, Amazon looks at its profits each year and says, could we use these profits to pay cash to our shareholders and make that well, they'll, they'll be happy today? Or could we keep reinvesting it and grow faster and faster and faster, increasing the value of our stock price to make investors even happier in the future? Well, Amazon's done the latter. It's never paid a dividend. It has had a lot of profits. It's continued to reinvest them. Facebook, it's been an amazing stock since it IPO'd. It's never paid a dividend. Google, it's an amazing stock since the IPO'd. It's never paid a dividend. And take a look at this. I just pulled these numbers before recording from the New York Times. This was on Google. It said Alphabet, which is Google's parent company. Alphabet posted revenue of $55.3 billion in first quarter of 2021. $55 billion of revenue. And of that, just under $18 billion of that was net profit, meaning that was money left over after Google had paid all its expenses, paid its employees, paid whatever it had to pay. There was $18 billion left over just in quarter one. Now, Google could have distributed that $18 billion to shareholders. That would have been a dividend. But what Google's always done, what Apple's always done, what Amazon's always done, what a lot of these types of companies have always done was they said, let's take this money and reinvest it. Let's focus on continuing to grow because we see opportunities to do so. And our value to shareholders isn't going to be in cash dividends. It's going to be in a rising stock price. So if you look at the S&P 500 as a whole, about 85% of all S&P 500 companies pay a dividend, but the other 15% or so, they are reinvesting a portion or all, I should say, of their profits. So the downside of dividend investing is if you're just investing in dividend paying companies, you are missing out on great appreciation in the value of stocks that don't pay a dividend. And that's not always the case. Sometimes there's companies that don't pay a dividend because they don't have any profits. They don't have anything left over to pay to shareholders. And there's some challenging times going on with the company. But in general, companies that do pay dividends, they see less price appreciation as they do so. And these numbers that we're looking at here, they, this is just on the S&P 500, which is going to be the big companies in the US. If you look at the Russell 2000, which is an index that measures the performance or just tracks companies that are smaller in nature, they pay even fewer dividends. And by the way, smaller companies tend to grow more over time. And again, this makes intuitive sense. If you're a smaller company, you're small, but your goal is not to remain small. You're trying to grow. You're trying to see how much room is there for you to continue growing the company. So as profits come through, you're reinvesting those with the goal of increasing shareholder value. Not always the case, but that is the case that smaller companies as a whole pay even fewer dividends than large companies do. So this is not a knock on dividend paying companies, but if all you own is those types of companies, you're missing a very critical component of what would be considered a fully built out, more well diversified portfolio, which is really the second point here. The other downside to just dividend investing is you're just not fully diversified. Different investment strategies, they come in and out of favor. So you don't wanna be tied to just one type of thing. Maybe dividend paying stocks become the next hot thing Maybe the dividend paying stocks don't do so well. 
for the next several years. You just don't know. It should absolutely be a part of your portfolio because dividend paying companies represent most of the stocks out there. So you want to make sure that you have them. But if that's all that you're owning, you're not fully diversified. Also, we did mention that from 2008 to 2009, dividends got cut by 23%. Yes, the market fell by more. The market fell by 57%. But if all you had was dividend paying stocks, your income got cut by 23%. If you didn't have other assets, even assets like bonds or cash that stayed stable in a time like that to continue supplementing your income, if everything was in dividend paying stocks, the value of those stocks fell and the dividend got cut by 23%. So if you're just owning dividend paying companies, you're not fully diversified. You could probably build out a better portfolio than just that. And then three, the final downside to just owning dividend investing stocks or dividend paying stocks is it's really not tax efficient. Let's say that you have two companies. You have got company one and company two, and let's call company one dividend company, and let's call company two growth company. And let's take an overly simplistic example where both of these companies have a stock value of $100 per share and you buy one share of each. Now let's say over the course of the next year, both of these companies have profits of 5%. Well, dividend company distributes a $5 dividend to you as a shareholder. They took those profits and they paid them out. Well, two things happen right there. Number one, the value of the stock goes from $105 per share to $100 per share. Sometimes people miss this, but whenever a company pays a dividend, whatever the value of the dividend is, it decreases the share value by exactly that amount the date that it's paid. Now the share tends to increase as before the next dividend comes and then same thing happens over and over. If a company's at $500 per share or $100 per share and pays a dividend, it doesn't remain at that share value. It gets decreased by whatever the dividend payment is. So in this case, the price would have gone up to $105 per share and then it dropped to $100 per share because dividend company paid a $5 dividend. So that's the first thing. Now the second thing is you are now left with about $103.50. Where does that come from? Well, I'm assuming that you are in a tax bracket of 30% between federal and state on that dividend. So what happens is that $5 dividend gets paid. 30% of that is owed in taxes. 30% on $5 is $1.50. So what happens is $1.50 goes to taxes and you end up with $3.50 left on that dividend that was paid. So what do you end up with? Well, you have a stock value of $100 per share. The stock again rose to $105 per share, but then the dividend of $5 is paid and your stock value dropped to 100. And you now have $3.50 or, or $3 in cash. You add those two things together, you have $103.50. Now let's look at growth company, the second of the two companies. Well, it was also worth $100 per share, and it too had profits of 5%. Well, growth company, they looked at these profits at the end of the year and said, you know what, we have $5 per share worth of profits. Do we pay this in dividends or do we reinvest in the company because we see better alternatives in terms of our growth rate and what we can do going forward? So growth company looks at this and said, you know what, let's reinvest these $5 per share back into the company because we think that by doing so, we can increase shareholder value in excess of $5 per share over time. So what happens is you don't get any dividend, but now the value of your stock is worth $105. And here's a nice piece. You don't owe any taxes on that. You don't owe taxes on capital gains until you sell and you are going to have control over when you sell that stock. So when you look at what happened with Dividend Company, you as an investor, you ended up with $103.50. $100 in the value of the stock, $3.50 in cash. Well, your investment in Growth Company, it is now worth $105. And yes, if you were to sell it today, there'd be taxes due, 
but you can control that and you can continue to let that grow. So what happens is dividend investing is not the most tax efficient because the other piece is if you later sell that investment that increased in value because the company took its profits and reinvested them and increased the value of your your stock share, well, that's taxed at long-term capital gains if you hold it for more than a year, which is a more favorable tax rate than ordinary income, which is many times what dividends are taxed at. So it just becomes more tax advantageous to not own dividend-paying shares, at least in a taxable account. It's not saying that you shouldn't do it. It's just saying it's less tax advantageous to do so. Now, if you're doing all of your investing in your 401k or IRA or Roth IRA, where it's either a tax-deferred account or tax-free account, this part is irrelevant. You could have dividends, you can have capital gains, you can have whatever, and it's not taxable, so it doesn't really matter. This is just looking at if you're investing outside of that, dividend-paying stocks really aren't that tax-efficient. So, end of the day, looking at everything, companies that pay dividends are great. Dividends have a lot of benefits. That's one of the reasons stock prices increase in value so much over time is because you as a shareholder are expecting for these values or expecting for these dividends to continue to rise over time. But it is important to look at both sides of this. It is important to see how dividend paying stocks should play a key component in a good portfolio, but probably shouldn't make up all of it. So I hope that was helpful. If you have questions, if you'd like for me to discuss a specific topic on a future episode, you can always do so by going to the Ready for Retirement website at readyforretirement.co. Submit your question, submit a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. And thank you as always for listening. And I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. There's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.